Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on, and Aston Martin's master plan to get to the front in Formula 1 hasn't got off to the best of starts with back-to-back 7th places in the Constructors' Championship. So what's going on, and how big a boost will its new factory facility be when the team moves in next May? I'm Ed Shaw, and joining us to answer those questions and many more are Mark Hughes and Claire Cottingham. Well, Mark, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. I'm uh, writing a lot, and... um in between podcasting a lot but yeah it's all good <laughs> so just got this image of you just talking and writing and that's about it yeah I'm, I'm hoping to do some other stuff but it's all a bit compressed at the moment but yeah people imagine that we just sort of hibernate when there's no racing going on but it's not like that at all yeah we like the idea of, of that kind of thing but it doesn't quite uh, come to pass and claire cottingham today special guest from race fans dot net you do look like you're about ready for hibernation with uh, a christmas jumper in play I am feeling very festive today, indeed. So, yeah, if it, I mean, just for people that can't see, because that's how radio works, it's got a um, little reindeer on my jumper and I've got sparkling lights behind me. So, yeah, feeling ready for Christmas. Suitably festive. That's exactly what we need for a Aston Martin podcast. So let's get into it without further ado. Mark, how disappointed have you been with Aston Martin's progress over the past couple of seasons? Why do you think it's been so underwhelming for the team? It's been caught at a particularly uh, unfortunate time by regulation, just as it's transitioning from a little team to a big team. And and over those two years, while all that's going on, it had to deal with, first of all, a a regulation change um, which made its 21 Mercedes copy um, um, pretty much obsolete, <laughs> and, and then it um, got a completely new set of regulations thrown at it for 2022, and went down completely the wrong road on that. Completely misjudged, 
um, the sensitivities of a ground effect car and basically had to redo their car. Um, you know, the one that we saw in Spain was the the the, the, the redo of the original car, which was just totally wrong in concept for something which um, the, the, for something which is very sensitive uh, to the underbody, as all these cars are. And so, um, while all that's been going on, they've been trying to they've been trying to build up their departments and they've been recruiting heavily. And so, yeah, it, it has been a very disappointing time on track. Um, but you can sort of see why and you can sort of follow the logic of, of the difficulties that they've had and why they've had them. So it doesn't really, hopefully, doesn't invalidate the potential that it may have um, going forward. Obviously, the team has talked up the the positive side, the fact that they came on much more strongly in the second half of the year. Claire, when Mike Crack was talking about this, he was relatively positive about the fact they went from basically nowhere to almost beating Alfa Romeo uh, to sixth place. So I guess that still shows there's there's a pretty well-operating team under all the, those ructions that, that Mark just talked about. I mean, you have to take on board as well that the car significantly changed after Spain. They made all these changes to, to the, the floor and um, there's loads that, that changed uh, come to the end of the season. So it wasn't hugely surprising that we saw an upward trend in, in their results, I guess. Um, Singapore was particularly strong for them. Not just as well, not just Sebastian Vettel. It was, you know, Lance Stroll being impressive as well. Um, Abu Dhabi, I know obviously it didn't quite work out for strategy-wise for Sebastian Vettel in the end, but they have shown a lot of strength to the end of the season um, since the car was changed. I think we've spoken about that previously on a, on a different podcast in the Alonso podcast, which you can go back and have a listen to if you want. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been impressive. And, and I think the the amount that we learned from our factory visit, which we'll get onto in a, mo- in a moment, really highlighted that they are throwing everything at this campaign. And it's not just a let's do well next year. It's a let's do well in the next 10 years. It's a, a long-term project. And obviously, the big thing for this team is, is trying to preserve the qualities and the strength that have made it an overachiever. Do you think the fact that they made the best of this car kind of says this is still a pretty sharp race team? There have been moments where it looked like the the Force India team of old, where they've um, got everything together in the weekend and, and sort of got the best potential out of that particular car on that given weekend. Um, but it's not being consistent. And I think... A lot of that is to do with the different systems that have been put in place as the team is expanding. And they've got quite a good read on the tyres uh, traditionally. And sometimes that's worked for them this year, but it's it's been in patches. So I'm not fully convinced, but yeah, I mean, the the general trend, as Claire says, was in the right direction once they'd got that new car up, up and running. But that was a very... Um, early state of um, preparation that that second car that Barcelona car and um, I said as we think we've discussed on here before the tech director Andy Green has said he wouldn't have even considered that a launch spec car uh, in, in a normal year it wasn't even at that level so yeah we were bound really to see some progress given how <laughs> how far off they were and during Certain weekends, it looked as though it's it's, it's in the window, but it, it it is a very very narrow window, and some of the some of the hard points of that car are just sort of baked in limitations, um, as they were with the Mercedes actually, and for similar reasons, the the 
the gearbox um, mounting points mean that the rear suspension doesn't really have enough travel to give it the sort of ride quality that's needed for this generation of ground effect car. And that's sort of baked in. So because it's such a narrow window, I think that is probably the reason that you were seeing these. Sometimes it looked, you know, it looked like they were getting good sort of good tune out of the car on other weekends. They just weren't. And um, yeah, very difficult to really assess how good a job the race team is doing when the car itself has got so many baked-in limitations. And, of course, the playing field's changed a bit, hasn't it? Because there was that period when they were overachieving, and part of that was because teams that had greater resources were underachieving more. So the competition, I think, has also got a lot harder since those years when it finished fourth in the championship. You can only deliver on your maximum potential, and bigger teams have a higher potential ceiling so sometimes those things are out of your hands you can only do the best with what you've got but uh yeah i think the trajectory they had over the season was uh, was relatively encouraging let's talk a little bit more about the new factory though Claire. you recently had a look around the new facility at silverstone so when's that going to be fully up and running and how impressed were you by what is currently still a building site but is taking shape yeah, we got to wear a hard hat and everything. I had special boots I had to wear. It was um, it was very impressive. Yeah, I mean, there's there's only so much you can say about how impressive, uh, a, a you know, a, like you say, a, a working work in progress site looks. But but their ideas are incredibly impressive. The project manager guy is uh, very passionate about what he's doing and who he's working alongside and things like that. It's it's basically got three buildings. One of the buildings is due to be up and running by. May next year, which I think is hugely ambitious, but there you go. The second building is where the wind tunnel and things will be, and that's meant to be up by August 2024 or end of 2024. Basically, the other two buildings are to be up and running by the end of 2024. So they're looking to have everything um, operational by 2025. But what is really impressive, I think one of the most impressive things about um, that whole site is in building one, where they have the, um, they've got a really huge building, which they'll have the design team, they'll have... um, the manufacturing team, the marketing team, they'll all be in in one floor. So Dan Fallows, who we were speaking to, who's Aston's uh, technical director, he was saying, actually, that's really exciting because that's where the magic's going to happen. We're going to do the old school thing where we don't have to send an email. We can just talk to people. We can bounce ideas off each other. And that's going to be, I think, really integral for them moving forward. Um, and Dan Fallows thinks that's that's a huge, you know, going to be a huge factor in moving forward. It's going to be quite expensive as well. Um, it's safe to say Lawrence Stroll has put quite a lot of money into that. It's going to be about £200 million uh, and it's 40 acres. And they have thought about a lot of different things, you know, sustainability. Um, they've got solar panels on top of all the buildings. Um, they're making sure that there's natural light in the whole of uh, each factory. So every single human will be able to see natural light, which is very good for your mental health and, and things like that. So they've really thought about how exactly this is going to work to make a happy team, but also make a really, you know, positive team moving forward and also a, a team that is looking looking to go on and win championships again. So, yeah, I think it was really impressive. And, and as the team principal, Mike, was saying, we were speaking to him just afterwards as well. It's a longer process. It's not just about looking at next year. And also, because they're going to have the state-of-the-art machinery, you know, they're already a step ahead of some of the other teams because, you know, they've got fresher, newer things. So it's going to be really exciting. Um, I just have concerns of whether they're going to have it done in time. 
Yeah, certainly they've got all the structure there, haven't they? But a lot of the services and interior stuff still yet to be done. I don't know a great deal about uh, about building, so uh, I guess they'll uh, they'll have that done. But what was very clear because I looked around as well was just how eager the management is to to move in and the and the team as well. Just the the rank and file, they all really want to get in there. Well, I don't know if uh, the project manager said the same thing to you as we had two separate groups for health and safety. But Guy Austin was saying, actually, they're really struggling at the moment to get construction workers to turn up to the, the site and make sure that everything's, you know, being. he's under very strict instructions to be under budget or on budget, at least, and to make sure this is coming out at the right time. Because you have to remember, they're getting their own wind tunnel. At the moment, they're using Mercedes wind tunnel. So any in-house stuff they can start doing is only going to benefit um, benefit them as as a team moving forward but it's just getting the construction done and as we all know the construction um, industry is is in a bit of disarray off the back of covid so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens but i, I yeah it's very ambitious and of course covid did delay the whole project as well i mean mark how big an opportunity do you think this is for the team it's a purpose-built facility you know the team ultimately is the work that goes on within the headquarters but how much of a step forward is it for them, given they were working with what was a, a pretty old-fashioned and underspecced headquarters just adjacent to the to the new site opposite the main entrance to Silverstone before? Well, this defines their potential as altogether a, a, of a different league, really. Whether they achieve it or not, we we'll see. But yeah, they they'd pretty much reached the limit um, of what a team of that size and structure could be expected to achieve and then quite often over-delivered. So um, the the process of going from a little team like that with, you know, about 250 people to one where you've got about 800 people and it's not, it's not straightforward and it's not without growing pains. And it may be a while before we see the real potential of this enlarged team but i would say in terms of the current ownership and how much has been invested in it by Lawrence Stroll and the the other shareholders it's it, it's really make or break because um if this ends up as a you know a, a disappointment and it, it long term doesn't start to deliver at least show some real potential um you know, you can quite easily picture a scenario where he loses interest and sells it, and then you, you're going through. You know, you, you, you hand, you, you're in the, the hands of fate. Then, depending on what what the new owner, whoever the new owners are, that would come in, and so yeah. And in order for him to to keep the faith um, with all this investment he's made, it really needs to start showing some of the potential that. Um, should be in there. And I mean, we've got, uh, Claire's already mentioned, Dan Fallows recruited from Red Bull, of course, after many years there. They've got Eric Blandon from Mercedes, who was um, quite a, uh, I think it, it certainly upset Toto Wolf that his friend Lawrence Stroll had um, managed to recruit Blandon. And they had a little bit of a fallout about it, I believe, uh, for a while. So the, there is a lot of, there's a lot of talent there. And then all, all sorts of people have been recruited from top teams elsewhere, but getting it all to sing from the same hymn sheet, get everything working smoothly and, and you know, all focused and all firing together, that's that's the that's gonna be the trick. And um that's that's what's in front of Andy Green, the the technical director who's a um, hugely capable chap and but this is a this is a big project, probably the biggest he's ever had. 
yeah, well, you've laid out why the stakes are so high here. And certainly they're making all the right moves. But it's interesting, Claire, one of the things that I think both Mike Crack and Dan Fellows were talking about the other day when we spoke to them was the fact that because this is a factory almost conceived for the cost cap era in Formula One, that everything should be about right for the for the cost cap. They can maximise the efficiencies, etc. So, do, do you kind of buy that that having this new facility being built to spec for this this new financial landscape in Formula One is a big advantage? Mike Crack even went as far as to suggest it be the best facility in, in F one, although he kind of agreed with somebody when that that was put to him. Do you think they're going a little bit over the top with that, or, or do you think it it rings true? Yeah, totally. I think absolutely. If you're building um, a project and facilities under this new idea of what Formula One is under this budget cap, you know, obviously last year it was a bit more. This year it's going to be um, getting smaller and, and the year next year it's going to be even even smaller, this budget cap. So if you're building a facility with this in mind and looking to, you know, cut corners, save money, all this sort of thing, of course, uh, you know, not only that, the cost of living's gone up. So they're now making the, the solar power, uh, you know, having all the, the solar panels on top of the building so they don't have to have um, as much electricity. All these things are absolutely going to make very small little differences. And as we know in Formula One, you know, everything can be won by the tiniest minute, you know, things. So so absolutely, I, th- I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see again if it is done in time for when they want it to be up and running. I think that's a really important thing. If it's under budget as well, not that, you know, Lawrence Stroll has any shortage of money, but eventually the money does run out. You can't, you know, like Mark says, you can't put all this money in and then expect the results. And if the results aren't there, Mark's right. He, he might just go, well, I'm just going to sell it, you know? So I, I think, I think absolutely it's the right way to go at the moment. Um, and, and you have to give Lawrence Stroll the, the credit. He's put the money where it, ma- I always get a saying wrong, don't I? And I'm going to do it there. Put his money where his mouth is. Put his money where his mouth is. <laughs> I nearly, how long did we have there? 20 minutes or so and I didn't get one wrong. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting. And hopefully, you know, with, with how the team moves forward, we're getting Fernando Alonso in. We don't quite know what happened with, with Lance Stroll if he carries on in the future, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting time, I think, to see how, how Aston Martin move forward, especially with the big steps they've taken this year already without the factory. But how much disruption are we going to see? Because you have to remember, a lot of those buildings have to come down to then move people into a new building. So we're going to have that crossover as well, where people are a bit disoriented, you know, different things in different places. So it, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, we'll, we won't know, I guess, until this time next year. Let's do it again. And obviously that that changeover, um, which is as we say due to happen in May, so I guess that'll be in the that there's and there's three races in May, so there's a gap after Miami, isn't there? So I guess they'll do it over over one weekend. But I think anybody who's ever been involved in any business that has a move like that, it's never quite as seamless as uh, as is advertised. So there'll be a bit of disruption. But obviously Dan Fallows was trying to make a virtue of it, saying that the uh, the immediate boost they'll get from being in there will uh, will counterbalance any loss. The other thing that I think could be quite interesting, and I don't know, Ed, if you've got this on your tour, but I asked where the helicopter pad was going to be. And they said, they told us it was going to be, so Lawrence Stroll's Stroll's office, rather, is overlooking basically the circuit. You can't really see the circuit, but it's it's on the outside, um, looking, overlooking the Silverstone circuit. And he was told that his helipad would be at the back of the building, whereas he's fighting to have it at the front of the building. So it'd be very interesting to see where that, um, that one ends up as well. 
well, you always want the right space to park your helicopter in, but uh, that, that, that's, uh, yeah, billionaire kind of uh, <laughs> problems there for that one. I always find it a bit distracting looking out the window at my helicopter when I should be working. <laughs> exactly. That's why you're not getting all your uh, words written up in time. You're too busy uh, staring at your very ostentatious helicopter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's very bad when you park it on the road. That's the thing that uh, that causes problems. Neighbours hate That's that. That's why you get in trouble, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we will see the start of this process next year and the the early benefits of the of the new facility. But yeah, as we've said, it's going to be very much a, a long-term thing. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, Mark, Lawrence Stroll has talked in the past about this being a five-year plan to emerge as a title contender, not quite title winner, but to be kind of in the mix for a, a championship. Year five of that will be 2025 because they take the first Aston Martin racing year in 2021 as the start of that. Do you see that as a realistic timeline to get to that level, especially with the fact that the wind tunnel's due to be fully up and running in the middle of 2024? So it'll feed into the 25 car, but it'll kind of come in when that project is already started yes it's it's ambitious it's as a timeline but it's it's realistic and if they're firing on all cylinders um with that level of investment and that level of recruitment yes it, it should be by then and if it's not there's got to be questions asked that's what i was alluding to before yeah this is going to be the point where that investment will start to get questioned i guess won't it it comes down to i suppose how patient Lawrence Stroll really is willing to be. And we do know that sometimes uh, the, the Megabucks owners of teams want success a bit quicker, perhaps, than, than they, might, uh, they might suggest. You have to take it on board, however, though, that he did swoop in to save Racing Point. They were on the brink of financial ruin, basically, in 2018. And he subsequently rebranded it. He brought on Aston Martin. He brought on the green livery, you know, all that sort of stuff. And he, you know, that's that's not just someone that's that's brought a new project and, and you know, is just going to let it run on its own. He's been so involved. He's always at the races. You know, we're now looking at 2022. He's had that team for quite a long time. He's put money in. He's invested um, a lot of money, I would assume, in, in um, getting Fernando Alonso over. Sebastian Vettel probably wouldn't have been very cheap either. He's bringing, as Mark was saying, bringing new people in from different teams. The investment is going in. So it's not like he's just gone, well, I'll buy it and then I'll let someone else run it and then hope for the best. You know, he has really put his time and effort into it. He's put his son in the seat, obviously, as well. So it, it means a lot to him to see his son do well in Formula One. And there was, a, you know, a lot of talk about that when, when, when Lance got the seat. But uh, I mean... If I had a Formula One seat and a and a child, I'd probably put my, you know, son or daughter in there as well. Uh, that's <laughs> that's what you would do. I, I'm pretty sure. But you know, you have to think that he has 
he has taken it on board and he and he's and he's really invested his time and energy into it. So yes, there could be a sort of thing of, oh, he might lose interest in a couple of years' time. But I think by that point, the ball will be rolling. I, I don't see that there will be any sort of, you know, with the Aston Martin brand and Fernando Alonso, they're now a marketable team, which is very different from where they were maybe before as Racing Point. That You know, people will want to buy and sponsors will want to get involved. Yeah, I don't think you can really question the level of investment and the commitment that's there. It has been hugely impressive. And for the most part, they're doing all the right moves. But I guess, Mark, the big question is, how you quantify the gap between a team that's Aston Martin's level and that lead group of three teams, it's very easy to see Aston Martin being in the mix at the front of of an F1 midfield fairly soon. But then we've seen over the past, well, certainly in the hybrid era, bridging the gap between the midfield and the the top two or three teams, depending on whether Ferrari and Red Bull are part of them at that given time, is very, very difficult for any of these perennial midfielders. So, just how much gain needs to be made for them to to be there for 2025? Well, again, appropriate to the um, the, the level of investment that's been made, which um, you know it, it, it is up there with the likes of um, Red Bull. Now, it, 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 it's ultimately the it should be it should have the target of being able to perform at that limit. And if it's just at the head of the midfield, that that wouldn't be good enough. Um, so yeah, there's something like thick end of a second a lap to be gained on the um, on the likes of Red Bull, and uh, not not to mention wherever Mercedes and Ferrari might be. But yes, that's absolutely the the level of um, intent and seriousness that uh, the, the the project has, and that's you know very much a part of uh, what attracted Alonso to it, and what all these other you know. Um, high-profile engineers have been brought in to do. And uh, if it's not happening, then uh, then the difficulties start. But I, I would say that um, it is realistic to be aiming there for in, in the, the timeline that they've got. It's going to be very, very hard work. Um, it's not entirely in their hands because who knows what advances are being made elsewhere. But yes, that's absolutely where they should be aiming and it will be disappointing if they don't reach it. I think probably the most encouraging thing is that unlike some of the previous heavy investment teams, your Toyotas, teams like that, there's not a fundamental kind of cultural block in terms of the the company culture. Obviously with Toyota, the determination to do the F1 team and the famous Toyota way slowed things down a lot. And that did play a big part. You hear that with many, many people who work there over the years. Toyota is in Formula One. You don't have that problem. If anything, you might have almost the other end of the the scale where you've got the Lawrence Stroll regimes quite uh, quite keen to crack on. I'm not going to quite say impatient, but want success to be to be delivered, as you say, Mark. Success commensurate with the level of investment they've they put in. I guess the really interesting question is whether doing this in a cost cap era is a good or a bad thing because it's kind of a double edged sword, isn't it? Because it it limits the amount that you have to spend, which is a good thing, but it also limits the chance for brute force spending to to outdo outdo things. So outdo the, the the established rival teams. One interesting thing though that was said, Claire Dan Fallows said this was that the they were very keen not just to be a clone of Red Bull or Mercedes or anything and try and find new ways to do things their own way of doing things. Because if they just do what those teams are doing, they'll be exactly the same. So they're almost trying to get into the business of of driving forward 
what F1 teams are. Laudable, objective, but also quite an intangible one, I guess, isn't it? I mean, no one really wants to do what Ferrari are doing at the moment, let's be honest. So if you can do anything that's against what they're doing, then you're probably doing all right. Um, Yeah, I mean, you have to be. uh, Formula One is always moving. And again, we keep talking about the budget cap. You have to be thinking now of of creating things in a very different way from how they did it before you know before you would throw loads of money at it and now we can't do that you know so they have to be thinking about new ways of uh running a team and winning under these you know the budget cap and all sorts of things that they have to the the hoops they have to jump through and having something like the wind tunnel i think will be uh, really interesting dan fallows was also saying yes okay we we have our allocated time of when we're allowed to do testing uh, but having that means that we can also do some other experiments in the one wind tunnel. It gives us the freedom to, you know, try out new things that we would never be able to do because they've been, you know, in Mercedes's um, facilities. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that Aston Martin have to think outside of the box now. They've got their new facilities. They've got their completely. It's almost like starting from the start again, really, from from the beginning, because they can completely um, shape this factory um exactly how they want to to get the results they want um so yeah they have to think differently i think now and and that's really exciting i think that's why people are are talking about this factory and why people are wanting to hear more about it because it could be the future of of how formula one runs yeah it's a good point that you make there particularly with the stuff that that fallows was saying in terms of those other experiments, as he referred to it, in the wind tunnel, because although you're limited by ATR, it's not just a pure thing of you can only use the wind tunnel specifically in this amount. You can do, as an entity, non-direct current F1 car things, one example of which is McLaren, to help with the correlation of their new tunnel, did some aero testing with an old car geometry so that they could then use that as part of the process for correlating the new tunnel. So there are things you can do that are F1 car wind tunnel testing that are not direct F1 uh, wind tunnel testing. So uh, yeah, that that's kind of how you reconcile those things, which is which is interesting, and it shows they intend to to fully commit to to using it. But let's move on, Claire, to the drivers. We've talked endlessly about Fernando Alonso on the podcast over the past few mm-hmm. months, but he is just half of that equation because the other part is is Lance Stroll, as you refer to, competent enough as an F1 driver. He's not bad or out of his depth, no question about that. Produced the occasional moment of magic, but he's not exactly the future world champion uh, material. Do you think his long-term presence is just part and parcel of the ownership of the team, given the many upsides that that brings? I think what's been really interesting is his change in form this season. Like you say, he's shown um, a little bit, little bits of magic here and there. We've seen Aston Martin showing bits of magic here and there. Sixth in Singapore was pretty impressive. Um, he also finished pretty well in Abu Dhabi, eighth in Abu Dhabi. Um, he, but he shows then he does these great things, and then he shows, and then he smacks into Fernando Alonso in America and and in Austin and gets a three place grid penalty, and then he pushes his teammate off the track in um uh Interlagos, Brazil, sorry. And um yeah, and then we see and then you see that and you think, well, firstly that's your future teammate and that's your actual teammate. You know, you can't make these mistakes. And I do wonder if he can he if he's allowed to kind of make a, a few more mistakes than maybe other drivers because, you know, his his father owns the team. But I'm not saying it's it's that he can get away with it because his his dad owns owns the team or anything like that. But but he has been showing these little moments of of magic. But my question is where the future goes 
for Lance Stroll. You know, Lawrence is obviously making all of this investment and hoping for the long-term future, but his son on track, he does show that he wants to be there. But I think collectively we've all interviewed Lance Stroll off the track. And I'm trying to think of like a really, (laughs) I'm trying to think of a, a delicate way to put this. He doesn't really show much interest when he's not in the car. And I find that quite difficult because I think, well, there's lots of drivers and and people that would love to be in that position. And that could just be who he is. That could just be, he might not be interested in his breakfast that morning. He might not be interested in his Netflix show he's watching. That might just be how he is. But I, I do think that I struggle to see where the future goes with Lance because Lawrence seems to have a bigger view of his of of where Formula One's going to go and where Aston Martin's going to go. And I don't know if Lance is always going to be part of that view. Did I say that delicately? <laughs> is that the best, the best way I can say it? <laughs> I was trying to be... You said it accurately. That, that... <laughs> I'm trying to be on the fence. <laughs> I think Lance can be part of it as long as he wants to be part of it. And I think yeah. um, whatever limitations he has are just um, built into the, the overall um, potential scoring opportunities and if you put him in a car capable of winning Grand Prix he's, he's capable of winning Grand Prix but um, I wouldn't say that um, I've seen evidence of the progression needed to take a guy from that level to someone who's capable of fighting for a world championship in a in, in a competitive car um, he just doesn't seem to have the the the, the level of uh digging deep in commitment that, um, that that is usually seen on people like Fernando Alonso and, and Lewis Hamilton. He's having a nice time and he's delivering a, a good enough level to be on the grid. Um, but, you know, I think he, he's there as long as he wants to be there and as long as Lawrence um, owns the team. I think that's as well what I mean by the, the attitude off the track. We see such a different attitude from you know, the world champions that are out there, you, the Sebastian Vettels, you know, the and, and they can be difficult characters as well when we interview them, do not get me wrong, but there is a different spark there and there's a different hunger that I feel from, from a driver that is a potential world champion. I do believe that Charles Leclerc has that, whether he gets given the car from Ferrari or decides that he's had enough of Ferrari, who knows where the future, but I do feel that from a driver like Charles Leclerc. We felt it from Max Verstappen. You knew he was going to win a world championship. It just depended when. And yeah, I think Mark's incredibly right in that in that point that we don't really see that from from Lance Stroll. Yeah, and ultimately, there's not that many drivers who you'd say are, are cast iron world championship winners, even in a, a championship winning car. History shows plenty have got into it, some very good drivers, and and haven't had enough to to do it. But at the same time, there is a, a midpoint between that and being terrible. And Lance Stroll has shown he's he's got ability you don't get an f1 pole position you don't finish on the podium in f1 without being a a decent driver but it's it's fairly clear that he's a central part for that team and that that could make things interesting if you get into a position where they are a genuine front runner in terms of the politics between the the two drivers etc but that's a problem for some way down the road for this team we'll get back to the pod in a moment but first a word about our partner grammarly No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. 
I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, Mark, it's likely to be a very tight midfield pack next year. Realistically, Aston Martin could be anywhere from fourth best down to tenth best, really, for a very small swing in performance. So what can realistically be expected in 2023? I think they've got to be targeting being head of that midfield. That's, um, I think anything less than that is not ambitious enough. And we've got to see a steady upward progression, really, um, now that it's had a, a first year to understand the difficulties around this set of regulations, um, it, it should now be in a position that, that it's not artificially constrained um, by things that weren't understood beforehand, it, it, it major major points of car design. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be looking at fighting the likes of McLaren and Alpine and whoever else uh, might it might come up with a good car on that midfield group. But it should, it it it's a team team with the level of ambition that it has. You should be disappointed with anything less than being head of that midfield next year. And it should be there should be signs there that it it is capable now and again of of um, closing that gap between there and the front. Yeah, and that's realistic. You would say, even though there's some tough opposition there, Alpine and McLaren obviously stand out. Alfa Romeo started the season strongly, trailed off, but expecting to go well. Alfa Tauri are expecting a much better season. Williams obviously improving. So it's it's quite a, a, a difficult part of the field to operate in. But yeah, you can you can certainly see that. And as we've discussed before, Alonso, I'm sure, will make the, the most of, of a car in, in that sort of uh, position. But Claire, let's have a look at the off-track potential for this team because there's this desire isn't there for Aston Martin to be kind of what Jaguar aspired to be 20 years ago and and almost a British Ferrari which is a bit of an unrealistic thing because nobody can be Ferrari because Ferrari is its own special thing but can you see this branding capturing the imagination of fans and really having a big impact if this team does start doing well? I think it already has. I mean, the amount of Aston Martin kit I've seen this season obviously you know a lot of fans like to go from team to team with their driver. So Sebastian Vettel brought over a lot of fans to Aston Martin. Um, And Fernando Alonso will do the same. I think that's what's so interesting about, you know, who they've decided to put alongside Lance Stroll. Fernando Alonso comes with very, very passionate fans. So I think the brand is already getting out there and it's it's already quite striking. It's nothing, you know, it looks like nothing else on the grid, which is, again, very important to do. We're, we're quite lucky in Formula One now nowadays that unlike some other championships out there, you know, some of the some of the teams can look quite similar in Formula E, for example. We see some of the, the cars over the years have looked quite similar in different teams. So we're very lucky in Formula One that each team is quite striking and, you know, it makes it much easier for the commentators, I'm sure, to know who's in the wall. Um, So I think they're already doing that, to be honest. And I think they'll only start picking up more and more fans um, 
throughout the you know now we've got a whole load of new fans as well Sebastian Vettel fans have got to go somewhere maybe they'll stay with Aston Martin and decide to stay with Fernando Alonso I don't know but I think yeah I think we're definitely already seeing it which is which is really interesting um I don't know about you two but when I go to any track it's always very interesting to see what fans are out there uh, you get a lot of Red Bull fans, obviously, and you get a lot of Max Verstappen fans and there's a lot of Ferrari out there. But you, you do see, and obviously Mercedes, but you do see quite a few green tops out there. So I don't think we should underestimate their, their marketing uh, department and their PR department because I think they've done an incredible job of, of making things a lot more accessible um, to fans as well. Um, I don't know if you remember in... in uh, Austria this year, they invited some um, female fans that were abused into their garage. And they, you know, they met Sebastian Vettel and met the team and blah, blah, blah. And and, and the two got to stay in for, for the whole day. So they are um, making themselves a lot more accessible to fans. Um, it wasn't just Aston Martin that did that. Mercedes did that as well. But it's just a point of, of how how the paddock is in general opening up as well to fans. Yeah, you can kind of see that clearly is making a bit of an an impact and it's it's strange isn't it mark because aston martin's not really a formula one brand historically is it their brief dalliance was with a uh an obsolete front engine car that they took far too long to actually get out and race because they were too busy focusing on on sports cars so i guess there's a chance to kind of make a almost a a, a new story with this brand as well yeah i mean the automotive industry has gone through such a period of change um that it's 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 really there to be any particular brand can be sort of molded really to um to be anything that its owner wants it to be and um, it's a very high status badge and it's got huge potential i'm sure and this a successful f1 um program could be you know a very very valuable part in identifying that that, that brand among the the next generation of um, potential buyers and that does kind of underline the stakes as well, because obviously Lawrence Stroll's got control of Aston Martin, the road car companies as well. So there's an enormous amount of money invested in this, and the F1 team will feed into the success of the automotive side. And that's that's kind of a reflection of of the stakes, I guess, Claire, again, coming back to yeah, what Lawrence Stroll's spending on this. Yeah, and another point on that is that uh, we were told when we were at the factory is that everything in that factory is going to look like an Aston Martin showroom. I don't know if you were told that as well. I thought that was really interesting. It's going to have the same. I noticed that in the model of the uh, of the whole facility they've got in their current reception, every car in the car park is an Aston Martin. So I'm not sure if that's a, uh, an offer of a very, very attractive company car scheme, but that, that seemed to be the <laughs> one of the manifestations of that. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's what Guy was telling us. He said Lawrence made it very clear that he wanted to have this whole factory looking like an Aston Martin showroom. So you absolutely can see the two linking together. The branding is is incredibly strong. Like you say, it's not very well known in Formula One, but in this new era of Formula One, Drive to Survive, you know, this whole new branding that we can do is the sky's the, the limit. I got that one right. The sky's the limit. The world's their oyster. Hey, two. I did two. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is a really exciting time to for the Aston Martin brand to be out there because it's a time where Formula One is being rebranded, really. Yeah, and of course that all depends on the success of the project on track, ultimately, doesn't it? They've made a promising start. A lot of what they're doing is in the right direction. And yeah, having had a look around the factory, it does look like it should do, apart from the fact they haven't quite finished it. But yeah, there's a lot of good going on there so 
Yeah, it's good for F1 if this team fulfills its potential because it means it will be up there. The more teams you've got operating at their potential, the more teams should be winning, especially given everyone's potential is broadly capped by the cost cap. So this one's going to be a really interesting thing to track over the next few years. And yeah, 2023, there's going to have to be a step forward. Well, thanks very much to Claire and Mark for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there. Check out our other podcasts, including Ring Back V10s and the Race F1 Tech Podcast, and also check out our YouTube channel. And as we always say, we're going to be keeping on going through the off-season, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.